from the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby. Hello, you fine badasses. It's great to have you here on the Badass Counseling Show, where we badass folk come to commune and learn and grow and be counseled and all sorts of fun things. It's great to have you here no matter where you are checking in, from Kyoto to Kansas City Mo. Great to have you here. I am joined in studio by KC over in the booth and Rob, the super duper rocket. How are you today, super duper? <laughs> yeah, close. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, reasonably super. How's that? I good. It, that's good. Okay. Name your two favorite songs by 10CC. Uh, <laughs> by 10CC. Um, I'm not in love. And I'm um, not in love. Let's see. Um, and what was the other one? There what are a bunch it? of them. Was it Rubber Bullets? Was that them? Was that them? Yes. I just heard one on the way to the studio today, and I've already forgotten which one it is. But every time I see 10CC, and then I just saw there was a group. I was. I heard a song on the radio last night. It was like. The name of the group was like Otto the Kerplunk or something like that. Mott the Hoople. Mott the Hoople. Oh my God, you know it. Yeah, well, we didn't we didn't rehearse this, uh, folks. This we, is all off the cuff. <laughs> and the cuffs are tattered. <laughs> all right, enough playtime. Let's get to work. Rob, we have two guests today from what you and KC have assigned for me, Kit and Jason. Tell us about Kit and Jason, please. All right, Sven, here we go. These are interesting stories. First, let's have Kit. She says, I'm tr uh, really trying to heal the little girl in me and my life. I've been repeating the same cycles my whole life. I remember being three years old and left sitting on the sidewalk while my mom and dad, not, not the bio dad, would be in the bar drinking. I've lived with a constant feeling of not being good enough for anyone. I was the kid who was told you were such a good kid until you started school. My dad adopted me when I was three and a half, and he was my hero. He quit drinking when I was four because my mom threatened to leave with me if he didn't. He'd been sober since, but my mom still has an alcohol problem. I always wanted my mom's love, but it always came at a cost. She'd take me with her, but then leave me. I have two older brothers, my mom's kids, and the oldest was her golden child. The middle one was the problem child who was sent to residential schools and had issues. Meanwhile, now he's the priority as she lives with him. I have always been easily discarded for something or someone better. She left my dad when I was 15. There's 24 years between my parents. He retired, and she was lost not knowing what to do with herself. I moved into a rental with her, and she rarely came home. I was alone all the time. She didn't protect me or provide me with any of the things necessary for survival. No food, money, no support. I rarely went to school because no one was around to make me and I rebelled. I attempted suicide and she came home for about a week and was gone again. By the time we moved out of the rental, she was in a relationship with some guy and I was in an unhealthy relationship. I moved back to my dad's and ended up pregnant at 16. I had my oldest when I was 17. It was then that my mom decided I was someone who could benefit her. She took over when I had my daughter, starting the day I delivered her, basically not allowing me to be mom to my baby. Please help me. I've ordered both your books. 
And then we also heard from Jason. And Jason's story is this. I'm having a really hard time losing both my wife and close friend at the same time. She cheated on me with him while he was telling me he was trying to help me and our marriage. He claims they weren't cheating and just friends, but she admitted to having feelings towards him. He says they didn't sleep together, not that that helps much. When she moved out, she moved in right next door. They've always been together, and I'm sure their relationship is physical now. I feel so much more betrayed by him because we were the type of friends that opened emotionally to each other. I was there when his wife left him. Almost every day I listened and worked out with him. We talked openly about our pain. But that changed when my wife was thinking about leaving. He was there at the beginning, but then was talking to her behind my back. I realized something was up when I noticed my wife doing something similar to what she did 10 years prior when she was cheating on me with an old boyfriend of hers. After I found out, I couldn't stand looking at him anymore. He acted like he wanted to rebuild our friendship, but he kept lying and omitting details. I'm so pissed and angry and hate him so much. His betrayal is affecting me more than hers. Kit and Jason, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. You bet. Kit, I want to start with you. A uh, couple of things briefly. You said at the in your very first sentence, I'm really trying to heal the little girl in me. Um, I know this is going to sound like a dumb question, but it's an honest question. Why? Why are you trying to heal the little girl in you? Because I'm tired of repeating the same vicious cycle. And you believe that because there's a wound to the little girl, that that is why you're repeating the same vicious cycle. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Uh, second thing I want to ask you is you said, I was the kid that was told you were such a good kid until you started school. Uh, who told you that? And what the hell does that even mean? My mom okay. actually is the one that had used to say it. What does that mean? What did she mean? I was always with her. And then when I started school, she said that I got this attitude. And I was socializing with people other than her. And so for her, what was it about that? You socializing with other people. Uh, what was she no longer getting when she was with you? Granted, you weren't with her as much, but what was she getting instead of the girl that she used to have? Yes, attitude. What does that mean? What need of hers was going unmet? Attention. So she didn't have like a hundred percent of me. Okay. And like, I was always very attached to her and like starved for her affection. And I just wanted to be with her. And then it was like, I started school and I was no longer important. Now you had to be at school. So is she referring to you actually being at school that made her feel no longer important? Or was it when you were together, she wasn't, when you weren't at school, she wasn't the center of your world. What was she mad about? That you were actually physically at school when you should be, or that when you were, were not at school, that you weren't the same as you used to be? I think it's more that I wasn't the same. I had learned some independence from her. Right. And you got the message that was bad. Yeah. Got it. Okay. And then you go on to say, I always wanted my mom's love, but it always came at a cost. What ultimately was the cost of mom's love? If you ever got it, what was the cost? I ended up being like the caretaker for her because she had all these bad habits like she drank and she did drugs and it's like i always felt like i needed to be with her to make sure that she was okay and take care of her call my dad if she was too drunk to come to drive and it was like her big thing was going to the bowling alley she'd go in the bowling alley 
And then she'd send me across to this McDonald's so I could eat. And then they would lock me out of the bowling alley so I couldn't get back in. And I would just be sitting in the parking lot for hours waiting for her to come out. That's fucked up. I mean, that's just fucked up. It's cruel. Locked out. Yeah. Like the owners of the bowling alley were friends with my mom and they would lock the door so that I couldn't get back in. Okay. So now essentially her car was locked too. So I couldn't get in the car either. Yeah. Now it's, now it's not even just mom. Now it's just collective, a bunch of fucking assholes picking on a child. What the fuck? All of her friends did the same thing. What kind of sick fucks? And I mean, it's one thing to for your mom to do it. That's bad enough. And her friends saying, hey, you can't treat your daughter that way. But this is a collective. This That's fucked up. Okay, so um, so then moving forward, you go on to say, she is now you're a teenager. She left dad when you were 15. I was her caretaker. Let me ask you this. Did you feel... I know you were wanting love from your mom, and I asked you what the cost was. You said the cost was to be her caretaker. Did you feel needed by your mom? I felt like it was my obligation and my job to make sure that she was okay. And Essentially, ha- I probably never would have moved into the rental with her and left my dad if I didn't feel obligated to take care of her and make sure she was okay. I would have stayed with my dad. Interesting. So your obligation to your mother was greater than your own wants. Yeah. Okay. And is it safe to say that that has perpetuated all the way through and into child uh, adulthood? Absolutely. May it's I, like I am so starved for love and affection that I was willing to accept anything, even crumbs from people. How old are you now? I will be 41 next month. 41 next month. And you basically still are that way today. Is that what you're saying? To a certain extent. My circumstances have changed a little bit and I've been given this opportunity with time by myself to kind of reflect and the way that the circumstances have gone, I have epilepsy, which I was diagnosed with in 2020. And I had a major seizure on October 3rd, crashed my car, lost my license, lost my job Mm. and ended up not being able to afford my rent. So I ended up coming back home to where I'm originally from. And it's like, I can't drive. Nobody wants to hire me because I can't drive. So I've got all this time where I'm sitting with myself and it's like, okay, take this opportunity. It's in front of your face. Heal your stuff. Wow. I love your attitude. That I'm in, And I have no doubt there's tr- tremendous loss and grief there that shit, I've lost everything and so on and so forth. But the mere fact that you are framing it also simultaneously, not instead of, but simultaneously as an opportunity, that's a testament to how fucking smart you are. Well, it's not just that. I spent 10 years with an extreme taker, as you call them, and that nearly killed me. I sacrificed everything, my kids, their happiness, their safety, their security, to try and stay in this relationship that nearly killed me. What happened at the end of the 10 years and the buildup of more and more and more and more shit, what finally happened? I finally stopped sacrificing. My youngest is going to be 18 in July and he has autism. And I had finally just, I saw it. I was no longer blind to what he was going through. This kid was sent to his room. He was ridiculed, name called. It it was awful. I mean, for 10 years and it, it did get physical for him and it did get physical for me. But the physical part was way early. Like I saw it and I knew it was wrong, but I didn't have the strength to leave. Right. And And then back in May, I finally 
I had a good job. I was proud of where I was going. And I was sick of him trying to bring me down and tell me that I wasn't enough when I knew that I was enough and I could do it on my own. So I got my own place, moved out, and I was on my own. Just me and my son, we were doing it. And then I had the seizure. Isn't it fascinating what led up to you finally having the courage to believe in yourself and to see your own value enough that it took so extraordinary amount of pain, such an extraordinary amount over a long period of time and seeing your son in pain, all that was being done, it had to get so fucking bad before this instinctive thing rose up inside of you. No. And you finally found your voice from that deepest well, and now you're acting on it, living on it. So things had to get horribly bad. And what's fascinating also then is this seizure that you had has shut down everything, shutting it down, saying this life, the way we're living it internally now isn't working. Here's the opportunity. Let's use it. Let's get to work. It's like life has to shut us down, break us, not just physically or whatever, but break our old mentalities before we finally turn and face it. I want to turn to Jason. Jason, um, it's funny that we're talking about this thing, this notion of things getting really bad. Your uh, your wife cheated on you 10 years ago and then cheated on you again with your best friend. Do I have that story yeah. correct? Yeah, well, um, she cheated on me about 10 years ago and uh, multiple times. And over the course of about two years, we actually separated uh, the first time she cheated, um, then uh, she wanted to try again, or I wanted to. Either way, we tried again, uh, maybe about six, eight months later. Um, she was living in another apartment or another place. Uh, I moved her back in with me because... Um, who wanted it we- more, you or her, to get back together after the breakup and the cheating? Who wanted it more, you or her? I think I did at the time because uh, I had a young son, uh, which at the time was like two, and I was taking care of him myself. Uh, um, she would see him, you know, every couple weeks or something like that. Uh, and I wanted that family unit. We were only married at the time for two years, three years. So, how did it feel when you discovered that she was cheating? How did you feel initially and then subsequent to that? How did it feel? It felt like somebody had literally stabbed me in the gut or in the chest. Like I had a physical oh yeah, uh, reaction to it. Yeah. Um, tell people it felt like my brain short-circuited because all I could do was stare at and think about. Because I first time I caught, I caught text messages um, while she was asking me to fix her computer. And I saw a Facebook message come through. Um, back when they had the app thing and it popped up Mm -hmm. the second time during that time, I had moved her back into our place or into my place. And, uh, we were together for about two months. And in that time, uh, she told me she was pregnant and then started acting again, the same way, the distance, the hiding her phone, all of that. So at this point I ended up snooping and, um, this was in July and we were actually going to marriage counseling at the time. <laughs> oh, that's rich. And, uh, she, when I, uh, looked on her computer, 
I actually found videos of her and him in her apartment. And when I looked at the time, because it has a timestamp on there, it was roughly within the hour after I moved her out and left. And I remember that day of her saying, I have to stick around for the manager to come check my apartment out before I can leave. And and just out of curiosity, the videos, tell me they weren't sexual in nature. Oh, absolutely. They were. Uh, they was very, very, I saw everything on both people. The images are still to this day burned in my head. All right. So um, she cheats twice and then it, you go back into the relationship with her then basically a third time, right? Yeah. Well, so after that second time of cheating, uh, when I found it, I kicked her out. I flat out told her we were separated before uh, and I flat out told her, this is my apartment. You're not on the apartment on the lease. I don't want you in here. You get out. Good. But during that time, also, uh, I was getting a lawyer to get a divorce um, and talk about uh, child support and all that stuff. And uh, come to find out that we, I don't believe, based on the time frame, that the baby was mine. So, they, so wait a minute. Just so we're all clear here, you already had a child of your own. Yes. And then this is her pregnancy. And you got a lawyer trying to determine paternity. Is that correct? Am I caught No, up? I got a lawyer for just the divorce. From her. From her. Got it. And when I talked to the lawyer about uh, the uh, um, the child that she was carrying, uh, I found out that um, the laws in my state, it doesn't matter if it's another guy's. I'm married to her. Therefore, I'm legally responsible for it. <laughs> okay. Um, and just so I'm clear, how many years ago was this? This would have been 2013, end of, uh, near the end okay. of 2013. Years ago. Okay. So laws in your state, you're responsible, but yep. there, was there a paternity test and whose baby was it? Um, well, we don't know for a fact because she got an abortion before any of that could come to light. Um, okay, just out of curiosity, she lied her, to me about again. She told me it was a miscarriage, but I saw the ah. So pills. she got the abortion, uh, not discussed. You're responsible for the kid, but you have no say in whether or not there's an abortion here. Got right. it? Okay, that killed me. That yeah. killed me because uh, not for any religious reason, but my reasoning is, you know, it's it was my son. I at least for the last two months, I believe that yeah. it was my my son's. Uh, uh, sibling, you know, fair, all of that. Fair. I was mad. That's um, fair. Well, year plus, and a half. Plus you were cut out of the decision. Yes. I mean, okay. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, but a year and so, a half, uh, we were separated. Okay. Year and a half, you're separated. And then what happened? She wants to get, to get back together. Or you want to get back together. She wants to get back together this time. I actually had another uh, relationship. Hey. All right. And uh, it was January 5th, 2015. How'd she talk you into it? Obviously it wasn't hard. She uh, said, hey, can I come over and talk? And you've I got said, some okay. very tall boundaries, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking she cheats uh, yeah, on well, you twice, uh, gets an abortion uh, with potentially your child or the one you're responsible for. And she says, hey, uh, you know, my ass itches. And you're like, OK, come on. I'll, come on over. I'll eat your ass. Basically, I mean, yeah. Wow. That's, but that's basically what it was is uh, she came over. I wanted because I wanted that family. And okay. there was so, there's something. Uh, let me My ask therapist you, Jason. calls it trauma bonding. Yeah, okay, and that's fine, and that's fine. I'm not saying it isn't. I'm sure your therapist knows your story infinitely better than I do, but I want to ask you this, simply this. 
Um, I wrote a book on cheating, a two-volume book on cheating, and there are very few things that I actually have a long suit in, to use the poker phrase, uh, but one of them is infidelity. One of them is cheating, and particularly female infidelity, as it were, uh, as under-researched and underreported as it is. Okay, and but I'm not, you know, whatever. I just want to talk to you as a guy here. I know you wanted her, and you loved her, and you wanted that family with her because you were seeing someone else and you chose to <laughs> go over and itch her ass. Fine. Um, so clearly you want, you didn't just want the family. You wanted her. Yes. In uh, one sentence or less, what was it above all else that you wanted uh, specifically about her? Why did you want her in one sentence or less? Because we had a uh, history together and I okay. wanted to keep that we had going, I wanted the future. Enough. We had history and I wanted a future. Second question is this, and this is a deeper question. Somebody cheats on you twice. What is the fear driving the behavior that causes you? And I'm not scolding you, Jason. In any way, I'm not scolding. Okay. I'm not condemning you. We've all been in places where we've Kit already admitted that she was in a place where she does things now that gosh, I didn't have the strength to do maybe what I should have done. She didn't quite say it that way, but we've all done things. I disappointed my own children. So, you know, in big ways. And so uh, there's no blame here, but what is it you were most afraid of that caused you to keep taking back this person who broke, breached your trust, not just in the cheating, but in making this big decision without it so much as a conversation and then lying about it. What is it that you most feared in cutting her out of your life for treating you so horribly? What was the fear in one sentence or less? What really was it? I, I want to say not being a part of her life. I was I was afraid of being alone, but I was seeing people. Mm -hmm. What was the fear? What ultimately scared you the most? Was it being alone? Was it being a father all by yourself? Was it what people would think? Was it, what really was the fucking fear here, Jason? Not having a future together, not being with her. And if you didn't have a future and you weren't with her, then what? Then I would have been with somebody else. No, no, no. But, but then why would you be afraid of losing her? What ultimately is the fear here? And actually, you know what? I want to come right back to that. We're going to take a quick break. So I was telling a buddy of mine how he seems happier. He told me about the book that changed his life. So I bit. I went to the Badass Counseling website and downloaded There's a Hole in My Love Cup audiobook. I started listening to it on my commute home from work, and holy cow, it was a Louisville slugger to the face. I literally sat in my car in the driveway night after night, listening through to the end of a chapter or doing the journaling exercises. My wife started to see changes. I started to change a lot. My default response stopped always being anger. Now, I manage a team of salespeople, and I changed as a leader. I was listening more, not always just reacting. When their numbers started going up seemingly out of nowhere, I knew what the reason was. There's a hole in my love cup is now required listening for any person on my sales team or working for me, and I gladly buy it for them. You gotta listen to this book. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform, and is not medical advice. Now, back to the badass. All right, Jason, I let you catch your breath before I bump back over to Kit. 
What was the real fear driving the behavior that caused you to keep going back to someone who betrayed your trust, hurt you, kicked you in the teeth, caused you to not be able to breathe? What was the fear that kept you going back to this person again and again? Yeah, I was thinking about it. It's a fear of failing at my marriage and uh, keeping a family. And if you were to have failed, if you were to have failed, what is the one sentence above all else that you would most, that would be the most painful to know that someone was thinking about you or to hear someone say to you, if you had failed at keeping a family and failed at keeping your marriage together, what is the one sentence that would hurt the very most to hear from someone or to know they're thinking about you? I wasn't worthy to be a part of, to keep the family together. I, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't worthy. I, I wasn't, wasn't good worthy. enough. Wasn't good enough. Just a quick question. Uh, did you ever get that message growing up in one form or another that you weren't good enough? Not at home, but I went to a Catholic school where I found this out through uh, journaling that I realized I suppressed a lot of the way that I was treated by at that school. Um, okay. All right. Uh, we'll come back to that. Kit, strange question for you. Uh, just first of all, is your mother still alive? She is, and she's actually aware that I'm doing this. And we've actually had conversations. She's aware of the trauma. She's remorseful. And she wants this for me. How old is your mom? She's like, she is 63. 63. All right. She's young. And she's remorseful. She knows you're doing this. Um, Got to be a little uncomfortable for you, isn't it? Not really, because I think I understand that it's just her trauma became my trauma, which became my kid's trauma. Uh-huh. How uh, how willing are you to indict your mother? And I don't mean legally. I mean, to honestly look at and feel and name what she did, said, didn't do, didn't say, and all of it. How willing are you to do that? All of it. I've actually been having conversations with her like, hey, mom, I was actually born out of an affair. My biological father cheated on his wife with my mom. Mm. And I was the product of that. And I've asked her, it's like, did you even really want me? Well, then why did you do all this to me? Why did you make me feel like I wasn't good enough? What did she say when you asked her, did you even want me? What did she say? She said, I absolutely wanted you more than anything in the world. What a bunch of shit. And it's hard to believe that. Fuck you. Hey, no, and I'm not saying this to you, kid, but fuck you, mom. Fuck you. And let me read a sentence that you wrote for us, kid. And, and you can believe whatever you want, whatever, but I'm listening to the story you told, and I'm finding that piece that, oh, I wanted you more than anything, finding it a little hard to believe. Let me read this to you. 15. This is 15 now. This is after she would lock you out of the bowling alley with her fucking miserable piece of shit friends when you're a little girl just wanting to be with your mommy. And she was happy to use you for your attention and to listen to all her fucking problems. And she was fucking, you know, happy to tell you, oh, you changed when you went to school. To be this pissy little fucking bitch 
woman. You were five, six years old when you started, which means mom would have been 22 years older. So mom would have been about 26. And so she's taking it out on a fucking child that you're not there meeting her needs. And then now you're 15. I was alone all the time. She didn't protect me or provide me with any of the things necessary for survival. No food, no money, no support. Not from her, but I could reach out to my dad and he would always come running with anything I needed. And God bless him. And God bless him. See, the man isn't always the villain in the story, no, people. No, ironically enough, Whether it's my G- dad is my hero. He, he didn't. He was like forty-six-ish when I was born. I am not biologically his, but he chose me. He adopted me, and he not once ever failed me. He did everything he could for and, me, and still to this day. And you know what? And and what a mensch. I mean, you know, he he stepped up, and for you to know from someone who wasn't obligated to want you, wasn't needing you like your mother did. He wanted you. And to have that proven again and again and again, at the very least, is confirmation of your worth. Yet, yet, back to mom's original point, oh, I wanted you more than anything. The very vagina from which you sprang didn't protect you, provide you, anything necessary for survival, no food, no money, no support. I'm sorry if I find it tragically unbelievable that your mother would have the brass balls to say, I wanted you more than anything. When she locked out, she got her friends to lock a bowling alley so that a little girl would be left outside kicking the stones while she sat there on the curb. You'll forgive me if I find her story a little bit unbelievable. At the same time, I feel like locking me out of the bowling alley was her way of trying to protect me because I wasn't seeing what she was doing because she was doing drugs and all kinds of stuff that. Yeah, sure. Maybe. And isn't it? And let me ask you, when did you spin that yarn? When did you spin that story? Was it back then or now as an adult? I'm curious. I'm really curious when you came up with that sort of way of understanding the story. Probably the older I get. Okay. And what that says to me is, in all honesty, and you tell me I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, I'll say I'm, I'm sorry, and I don't mind being wrong, all right? Just say, Sven, you're fucked in the head. That's not it. But to me, that is a child wanting to make sense of something that makes no sense. Exactly. A child, fundamentally, a child wanting to protect the parent just like you were always obligated to do. You were obligated to take care of her. You were the parent of her, and now you're trying to make up a story for how she could engage in behavior so heinous, heinous, as she did. And it's like, it's almost like, and you tell me if I'm wrong, it's like you don't want to look at the truth. It's like you don't want to see that what she did was inexcusable. There, there's no excuse. There's no, wait, you fucking, uh, you locked me out so that I wouldn't. Why, if she was so in, in, interested in protecting you, why not just leave you at your father's? Originally, when she left my father, she gave me the choice whether to stay with him or go with her. And me feeling right. obligated. And you were how old at the time? You were how old? I was old? 15. Okay, you were 15. And I felt obligated to go take care of her. Right. Your father, who's not your biological dad, your stepdad, he knew what was going on with her. Is that correct? I don't think he knew how bad it really was. He was very hurt by her leaving him. I'm sure he was. I mean, my father has done years of therapy and Mm -hmm. he's very self-aware. 
he knows where his failures were and he does the work to okay. fix that. And God, God bless him for it. Um, what do you still want from your mom? I'm not sure I really want anything from her. I just don't want to be angry at her. Why don't you want to be angry at her? Because she's my mom. I don't understand what that means. I lost my grandparents who were like my safety net. It's like I spent mm -hmm. a lot of time with my grandparents growing up. My grandfather was a truck driver. I'd go with him for every vacation from school. I'd go with mm -hmm. him. You lost them. You lost them. So now it's like I don't have them. So I don't really want to lose my mom too. Wow. It's interesting. Okay. So I lost my grandparents. They were my safety net. And so I don't want to be angry at my mom because I don't want to lose her because really she's the only connection that I have left to my grandparents, <laughs> sort of anything, your grandparents. It right. Right. My grandparents and that so, I lost was and so, their, her mom or their parents. Right. What would you feel if you lost your mom? What would you feel? What would be the feeling word? Lonely. Unneeded. Lonely. And Unneed, oh, unneeded. You know what the difference between being wanted and being needed is? Wanted is you want me for me. Needed is you want me for what I can do for you. You have been, and I see this all the time, you have been conditioned to believe that your worth is in what you can do for other people. It's in your doing. Uh, that still reigns through every day. Yeah, of course it does. Of course it does. And you're afraid to be angry with your mom. You, you said, I don't want, I don't want to be angry with her. I don't want to, but you are. Very much. I actually I believe did one of the letters yeah, that ahead. you don't send to her yesterday. And it's like all that anger started coming out. And I'm like, oh shit, I really am mad at my mom. Oh, you're not just mad at your mom. You're, you're disappointed. You're betrayed. Yeah. You're full of rage. And it, I'll be very, very, very honest with you. If you, if there's not hate in there for your mom, I don't believe it. It actually came out in the letter. I don't believe it. The word it. hate was in there a couple of times. Good. 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 And there's a lot more there. She literally didn't provide for me anything's necessary for survival, no food, no money, no support. Just out of curiosity, where'd you get your food? My dad. Yeah, exactly. I could call my dad and is right now and he would bring me food or whatever I needed. And is it safe to say her your food money went up her nose or into her veins or into her lungs or something? Essentially, yes. Like she would come home okay. for like a few minutes, drop off like a carton of cigarettes. She was big into Coke. And I remember the first time that I had actually found Coke. She was not home ever. So I would get Snoopy and go searching through her drawers. What is more important than me? And found Coke. And actually ended up reaching out to my brother's best friend at the, his high school best friend, who was a cop. And I was like, what do I do with this? He goes, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. He goes, just don't say anything to anybody because I could get in trouble for doing this. And I don't know what he did with it, but he took care of it for me so that I wouldn't get caught with it if the cops ever came to the house. Not that the cops would have fucking done anything to you, hopefully. But uh, anyway, so you haven't answered the question. What is it you still want from your mom? Because it sure sounds like what you want from her is a, at the very least the lifeline to your grandparents. You want, you said, because she's my mom, which implies you still want a mom. Essentially, yeah. Which is hard because I talk to her every day. And if I don't call her, she calls me. And let me ask you, 
Who is this relationship mainly for, you or her? What percentage is it for her and what percentage is it for you? Who talks most during the thing? Who listens most during these conversations? It's a lot of me talking and her listening. Well, that's a little bit of a relief. Because I don't hold anything back from her anymore. It's like I tell her what I think and what I feel to a certain extent, as much as I think she can handle. So you still want a mom? Is that accurate? Yeah. Doesn't everyone? And if you had a mom, no, no. I have plenty of people who went through what you went through or not as bad or worse, In depending on the case, and they say, my mom's dead to me. My fucking old man, he's dead to me. I don't, he, he literally has nothing that I want anymore. He can go fuck himself for everything that he did. And and this, so they still have the anger, but even when they get the anger out, it's just like, I'm just done. I don't need that person. They had the opportunity, decades and decades of opportunities. And they made it very clear to me that they didn't love me or they didn't want me or whatever. And I need to move on with my life. No, everyone doesn't. And they grieve that. And I'm not saying you should, should or shouldn't go to that point. That's up to your own soul. Only you can make that decision. All I'm trying to get to is if you had a mom, then what? What would that give you? Worth. Value. Worth. Value. I feel like she failed me and my life could have been so different if she had been there. Oh, it would have been completely different if she had been there. But what's interesting is you are still believing that I need her in my life and to give me the relationship and to give me love and to give me attention in order to confirm my worth because she was the one that stole your worth. Your dad didn't steal your worth. No, he can. No, she did. And you've been waiting and begging your entire life, begging, sitting outside a bowling alley for hours and hours, your entire life, begging her to confirm your worth, which means deep down, the belief is she has the key to my jail cell. And only she has the key to my jail cell, the jail cell of my misery. Only she has it. And I will do anything. I will swallow a lifetime of rage and pain and betrayal, disappointment and disgust if it means that I can get that sense of worth from her. And that's the fallacy. The, the, real, the truth is the key to your cell is in your own pocket. She doesn't have it. I mean, sure, it'd be nice and everything, but no. Because a part of you, may, I get people who say, you know, my father, I was 42 and my dad told me he loved me and he was proud of me. And you know what? I didn't believe him. In fact, it made me angry. It's like, fuck you, old man. Where were you? Where was that shit fucking 38 years ago when I was four? Where was it when I was on the ball field when I was 12? Fuck you. Essentially, my mom took my dad away from me too because I was talking to my boyfriend the other last night and I was like, you know, I'm like, until now, the last time that I actually felt safe and secure, like I was genuinely okay, was between the ages of like three and five and a half because my dad he would let me lay on his belly and he would rub my back until I fell asleep and then he'd go put me to bed. But my mom made him stop doing that. She took that away from me because she made him stop. Yeah. The obstruction of, of love because one parent is jealous uh, or whatever else uh, is, is tragic. It's, it's, it's horrible. Yeah. She obstructed, she took away the relationship with one person that loved you. And she's kept, why? Well, we saw why when you started school, because it took away from her relationship with you, her getting her needs met, you being her little mini me and shit like that. Right. Because it took away from her, right. And now she's saying, 
I wanted you more than anything. Oh, I'll bet you did want me more than anything. You wanted me to meet your needs, to be your little mini me, to be your little psychologist, to be the person that's always there waiting on you, to be that little fucking puppy always there for you. And here I am at 41 and I'm still being your little fucking puppy because I believe I need you to have worth. And maybe you'll choose that and that's okay, Kit. But the bottom line is you don't need her to confirm your worth. Furthermore, that was there's no definition of good parenting that your mom's parenting fits under. None. Jason, I want to ask yeah. you, just out of curiosity, I know it sounds weird, but just out of curiosity, as you're listening to Kit's story, what's going on inside of you apart from, hey, when's he going <laughs> to talk to me again? What's, what, what's going on inside of you um, about, your, about your own story, et cetera? What kind of got me is that uh, at home, it was the complete opposite. My parents, two parents, were very involved with uh, everything I did. Um, they told me I, they loved me a lot, uh, that they were proud of me. I earned a lot of stuff, uh, you know, Boy Scouts and ball and wrestling and all that stuff. But it felt like uh, when I was listening to her, and I don't know why it jumped in my head, because um, I haven't thought about it in a long time, but it felt like, uh, you know, no matter where I was at, I never fit in. When she said, I need people to need me, um, or I want people to need me, that resonated really closely. Why did, why did that resonate because, for you? Because you had parents who were very loving and so forth. Why would that resonate with you? Where did that come from? It started really early uh, where it felt like I never belonged anywhere. If I was in... School, I think I told you, uh, the nuns, uh, I was always getting in trouble in first grade. I'm six years old and the nuns would put these crying angel stamps on my homework because my handwriting was bad. Um, I didn't turn in uh, enough homework or I didn't do it well enough. And we had this apple tree that she would shade in uh, your apple uh, with your name on it like it was rotting. And I don't know what I did. She ripped down that whole <laughs> apple. Uh, the whole class was mad at me. Um there was uh, another one, I guess this teacher did it to a lot of people, where she got mad enough that she took one of them metal uh, garbage cans and put me, had me stand in it in front of the whole class uh, because that's where trash belongs, she said. Oh, wow. It felt like I'm always fighting to prove myself. So, uh, you know, when I wrestled, I wrestled in high school, college, I coached now. It wasn't good enough that I was just a part of the team or like it didn't feel like they accepted me as a part of the team. I had to be and work harder than everybody be the best wrestler on the team. Otherwise, mm -hmm. why was I there? Mm -hmm. Boy Scouts, I'm an Eagle Scout, but I earned everything right away because if I didn't, it's like this motivation. If I didn't, then I didn't fit in. Let me ask you this, and I am so happy to hear that you had a loving home and so on and so forth. Just out of curiosity... Um, what percent in your home, apart from school, when the crying angel, <laughs> that's a new one. I, I had not heard that. You know, my father was Lutheran clergy and we didn't have crying Marys or crying angels. Um, I feel like I missed out. Let me ask you, Jason, what percent of the messages you got at home about your worth? Now, we all know that someone can say they love me and yet their actions say something different. But for the moment... Uh, just out of curiosity, at home, quite apart from school, how much of your worth was tied up in or was uh, given to you 
in your being and how much was because of your doing or accomplishing? What what percent did you feel loved from in your home, from your parents, because of who you were and what percent because of what you did or accomplished? I, I would say it's, yeah, I would say it's probably 70, 30 of who I am in the home, 30% of what I did. That 30% of what you did, what is the one message you remember above all else, either explicitly or implicitly, that it accounts for 30% of your value being tied up in your doing? Um, well, okay. let me ask this. Then let me ask this. What's the one thing that you would hear from either one of your parents that would hurt the most? That I'm disappointed in you. There you go. There you go. Just out of curiosity, would you most hear that from a mother or from your father? Most likely. My mom. Which one? My mom. And what is it above all else that would cause your mom to not be disappointed in you? I mean, you clearly tied it to then I got to do the right thing or I got to be a good boy or I got to get A's on my test. What was it that was most tied to her not being disappointed in you? What would you have to do or be or say in order for her to not be disappointed in you? Basically, uh, it was, you know, not get in trouble, do what, follow the rules, all that stuff. Um, Follow the rules. You know. And what was mom's biggest rule? What was the one? Well, I was a latchkey. Yeah, I was a latchkey kid. I grew up in the 80s. And uh, so it was always uh, the house had to be spotless when we got home. Spotless, the house. When she got home, because we got home from school like two hours before. Right. So you should definitely take on the role of cleaning the house for her. Um, Okay. Um, And just out of curiosity, I had asked you earlier that if you fail in your marriage, I had asked, you know, you said, I fear failing. And I said, well, what's the one sentence you most fear if you do fail? And you said, you know, that I wasn't worthy, that I wasn't good enough. And just out of curiosity, if that's the one sentence you most fear hearing if your marriage fails, which now it has, okay, your marriage has failed. It, you didn't fail. She cheated on you. She whored around with your best yeah. fucking friend. All right. And now they're together. Thanks, assholes. Um, and so let me ask you, that sentence that you most fear of you're not good enough who would be the one person in your life from zero to whatever age you are now? What, how old are you? 41. 40, look at that, two 41-year-olds. All right. Um, what is, who is the one person in 41 years of existence that would be most likely to say to you, you're not good enough, or to think it about you upon the failure of your marriage? You know, nobody has said anything. No, I, but I know, I said, but I mean, I don't, that's the thing. It's not my parents because they're, they were supportive of me, of the divorce. Then who is it? Who would be most likely to say it? Or, or if you prefer to answer this question, who would it hurt the most to hear it from? I know it sounds weird. It's myself. Yeah. Except you weren't born with that message inside you. But that's the thing is I can't, I, I, Somewhere there's a critical fucking voice inside yeah, you. Yeah, but it's... And how was mom's disappointment conveyed when you were a child? She would come home and she would either start yelling. Uh, that would be the initial thing. Um, oh, yelling's the initial. Oh, yeah. so it got bigger? No, it got quieter. And then it was, And then it was more of the, uh, I'll do it, you know, fine, I'll do it myself kind of thing. Just go so you, oh, The fine, I'll do it myself. So she's pissed. Yeah. Okay. So mom had a bit of her own type of wrath to her. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, and and I don't doubt that your parents were supportive of the divorce. I mean, come on. Wait, the first divorce or now this one? Both. Well, of course they're supportive now. She cheated with your best fucking friend. They and, and they were actually telling then. me, yeah, they were they were telling me along with everybody else how stupid I was to take her back. Oh, well, thanks for that judgment. Um Okay, you know, they wait a minute, just out, just so I'm clear. Were those literally the words? Uh they come it was on, more be like honest, uh, you're be honest. Yeah, it was more it was more like uh, you know, I can't believe uh you would take her back, or I can't believe you'd be dumb enough to take her back or something dumb like enough. that. Yeah. Okay, listen, dude, if they're being fucking judgmental using words like dumb or stupid or whatever, saying, you know, I can't believe it, you know, that's that's hard enough, but say I can't believe you'd be dumb enough. If they're doing that when you're 41, did they undergo some transformation of character that they're all of a sudden using words like that to you, calling you dumb? Or have they always done that? It has to be one or the other. Um, I don't remember them ever doing it when I was younger, so I don't know. So um, do you think you did more dumb things when you were younger or more dumb things now as an adult? I think I did uh, more dumb things when I was younger. Right. So then doesn't it seem odd that they're calling you dumb now, but they didn't call you dumb, but you don't recall them calling you dumb then? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I find myself wondering, let me ask you something, Jason. This is a very hard question. And you've already answered it on one hand, but I'm going to push a little bit. And that is simply this. Is it possible that there were other things going on in your home growing up that you don't want to look at or admit or sort of feel? In other words, it wasn't all roses and gumdrops and cotton candy out our buttholes. Is it possible? Because you just said mom would yell, then she'd go silent, then she'd go fine. So all of a sudden now it's not just you know, everything's kumbaya and namaste all the time. So we know there's at least that. Is there possibly more other messages there? Because you took a cheater back twice. Yeah. Because you were terrified of failing. Yeah. And being seen as a failure. And the message, I'm not good enough. Now, I'm not in any way denying the significance of the schooling to which you attribute that sort of fear of failure or that I'm not good enough. But I've had clients where they grew up you know, with bullies at school, teacher who were bullies, all that shit. But they were getting such powerful counter messages at home that those messages never stuck. That you're no good, that you're a loser, that you're, you know, fathead, stupid dummy or whatever. It didn't stick because the counter messages were so great at home. So the fact that those things stuck to the point where you're allowing someone to cheat on you repeatedly and you still go back to them, which I'm not scolding you for, but it's an indicator there's something there that perhaps the counter messages weren't strong enough or perhaps those messages that you're not good enough were actually being sown at home or possibly reinforced at home. I'm just curious, Kit, what do you think about your story upon listening here to what's going on with Jason? I was getting negative messages my whole life. I remember my uncle. I was not even old enough. I don't even think I was probably 10. And my uncle would make comments about how he needed to build me a chastity belt so I wouldn't be like my mom. And then I later find out that my entire family had a bet as to who would get knocked up first, me or my cousin. Oh, my God. And it was me. I had the baby first. And it's sickening. Not you getting pregnant. I'm, I'm not at all. Well, no. I ended up with three kids by the time I was 23. 
They all have wow. different dads. My oldest will be 24 in September, and she is a trauma victim herself. Her yeah. fa- She had gone to visit her father for a weekend. He had just gotten married, and she woke up with a poopy diaper because it was 20 days after she turned two. Mm-hmm. And his wife put her in a bathtub and poured boiling hot water over her head. Oh, mother of so God. now my daughter has skin grafts from her head to her waist on her whole right side to her fingertips. I hope the bitch is in prison. They couldn't prove which one poured the water, so essentially they both got away with it. Fuckers. Wow. Your poor girl. Oh. And she is probably one of the strongest people I know. But at the same time, she's burying a lot. She right. very rarely talks to me. She's pretty angry with me. Yeah. Because of a lot of the stuff that she endured. And and this actually brings me to the one question I've been itching to ask you from the very beginning. And it's simply this. How much and and stay with me here. It may be confusing at the beginning. I may not state it properly. How much are you afraid to indict your mother for what she wasn't? Because doing so would mean fully indicting yourself and feeling all that you have done and failed to do for your own children. I've journaled a lot of that. I write and I've been journaling for years. Okay, good. What is your fear level that if I condemn my mother, it means I have to condemn myself and that potentially I open myself fully up to the abject hatred from my own children? What percent is your fear level of there being a correlation between the two of not wanting to look at the mom stuff, my own mom stuff truly, because that means I have to look at my own mom stuff and my own kids. I'm ready for it. What is percent is, what percent is your fear level? Maybe 15. Then let me ask you this. What's the scariest part in all of this? Whether it's your kids, your mom, your, your Losing my kids because my oldest has two kids. So essentially I'm a grandma, but. Why would you lose your kids? Because they'd see how bad I really was. Right. The fear that you might lose your kids. And so let me ask you, what might the fear of losing your kids cause you to do or not do? We change our behaviors when we fear something. We might change our behaviors. We tend to change our behaviors. We don't always. But we pull away from something or we go extra on something. We do something if we have a grand fear. You shut down. I shut down and I internalize it all. And you shut down from what? Feeling. Right. I go okay. numb. I just, I don't feel anything. Right. And so this is what I was getting at with my question of correlating your mom to your kids is that y- y- the more you explore the real shit of what your mother did to you deliberately withholding food and so on and so forth, the more you explore that and stop excusing it, and just look at it for what it was. You were a 15-year-old girl who was all alone in the world. You were a five-year-old girl who was all alone in the world. And the more you look at that, that means all those feelings come up. But that also means once you unlock that vault of all those feelings, you unlock all the vault of all the feelings. And the shame, the guilt you feel regarding your There's own There's a lot of guilt and shame around my kids. Of course there is. Of course there is. You did your best, all right? You worked hard and, and so on and so forth, but it doesn't change the fact that you have a lot of guilt and a lot of shame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's all gotta come, which means willingness to go to the very depths of it. But I would offer the most powerful healing is gonna come when you have the courage to look at the real truth. Whether or not you ever say word one to your living, breathing mother, 
you have to have some rages, some deep conversations with the mother of when you were five and 10 and 15, not to mention 25 and 35, but especially those ages. And that girl has every right to get it all out. And if you don't, you're just spending your life trying to keep that vault locked shut. That's pretty much what my life has been. Right, right. Constantly running. I know. And that is chapter three or whatever in the book. There's a hole in my love cup. You're running. Everything is running, whether it's the shutting down or whatever drug somebody uses, food or whatever it might be, Coke, whatever. Gambling, cheating, (laughs) alcohol. Right, right. And at some point we turn and we face that tidal wave that we've been running from our whole life and it overwhelms us, but you can microdose that tidal wave, doing it in bits and pieces. And you have to, because it's killing you. And the truth is the less you do that, the more likely it is you're, you are gonna lose your children and grandchildren. The more you have the courage to face that, at least you are finally coming to, to your children as the broken beggar that every one of us really is. We are, we've made mistakes, but nonetheless, because you've made mistakes, that does not excuse what was done to you as a child. All of this grows out of that. And until you have the courage to look at what was really done and the heinousness of what was done, did food, water, shelter, your mother, depriving that, come home with a carton of cigarettes and, and then you'd have to call up your fucking dad for some fucking food? Are you off your fucking rocker, woman? Not you, I mean her. Right. Right but you wanted to excuse it because you so wanted worth from her that you would give everything. You would even sell the past. You would sell the truth to buy a lie so that you could get your worth confirmed. Yeah. Jason, I have a question for you. Yeah. You said you hate your friend so much. Your best friend cheats with your wife. You guys used to work out together and do all this together and, and, uh, you couldn't, you can't stand to look at him so much anymore and so on and so forth. You just flat out say you hate him so much. And I'm just curious, how is it that I don't read in your paragraph that you hate her? Because I kind of expected it from her when it happened because of the first two times. But for him, I, there was, I feel like I had a lot more trust in this and him. Yeah. But you had trust in her at one point. Did you ever feel hate? Did you ever feel hate for her for what she did? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Last year at this time, I absolutely did. But at the same time, at last year at this time, somehow he convinced me that he was just a friend and he was just talking to her and nothing was going on. Right. That's the um, I cut off all contact with him from about December. I had an open discussion about what he's doing and how it's hurting me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he kept telling me it's not. I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing anything. Well, I got to a point where I cut him off. And then right about June, July, um, he called me up and, uh, you know, wanted to talk to me and, uh, you know, get back to our friendship. Mm -hmm. And he convinced me that everything was uh, fine. Nothing happened between them, all of that. And I told him, you know, if we're, you have to be completely honest with me. Like you, this isn't a, I'm going to, tell you something and tell her something else. Cause right, that's right. 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 What did he say? He said that he would do that. Um, and then he didn't, did he? No, right away. Uh, I ended up finding out that right about that time, within a week, she moved in right next to him. He didn't tell me, she didn't tell me. I found out from my son 
who is the one, uh, you know, that said, oh, yeah, yeah, I get to go hang out with, I won't say his name on air, but right. I get to go hang out with uh, him uh, at the pool at their apartment. Uh-huh. And uh, so when I brought it up to him, his excuse was, well, that was her place to tell you, not mine. And I want to go, what fuck a- you. Right. That's right. your place. You're the friend. Right. Yeah, it's both of their places. But yeah, he's a fucking pussy. He's and and I, I need to choose a better word. He's a fucking no, like coward. He's a fucking coward. He's and, a fucking coward. Fuck him. Yeah. And that so and that was just one of them. And then it was, uh, you know, just over in it. I had to have in the last six months given him, you know, two or three, maybe four chances. Oh, to- God. Yeah. And you know what, Jason, it's the chances you keep giving people that indicate how little you think of yourself because people are doing really heinous things to you I know, and, and betraying I- your trust and taking advantage of your love and your kindness and you keep allowing it. And what's worse is you're modeling this then for your son. You're modeling that this is what it means to be to give love. This is what it means to be a man. This is what it means to be a person is to let people keep punching you in the face. And at the root of it is you're so desperately wanting their love. And you so fear that being alone. And why do you fear the aloneness? Because when you're alone, all those messages you got as a child come rising up. If you'd gotten only loving messages, you would have no problems being alone. If you believed in your own worth, you would have no problems being alone, right? And But it's the problem is when I am alone, all the messages of how bad I am come roaring up inside of me. So we've both got some work to do. Both of you have some work to do. And it's going to take courage to go into that stuff. In your case, Kit, you, you see it. You see the issues, but it's a willingness to really, really, really see it and really, really feel it and also to see the implications. Well, what does this mean? Christ, I, it means I've been alone the whole time more or less, or in your case, Jason, it's almost like you haven't wanted to see it. Mm -hmm. You haven't wanted to see it. And I don't just mean with your buddy and with your wife. I mean, I'm offering and I could be totally off my fucking rocker. There's more shit going on there in your home that perhaps you haven't wanted to see because you are engaging in repeated behavior that says, I'm no good, I'm no good. I need you to stay, I need you to stay. Please stay and pour love into my love cup. I'll do anything, I'll do anything. Just please don't leave because if I don't have you here, your being here is a counter message to those messages inside my gut that say I suck. And if I don't have you here and you walk away, right, with my best friend, All those messages, and I'll bet, Kit, you understand. 100%. Well, listen, guys, I want to thank you both so much for being on the show. Really, such fascinating stories, yet, wow, the overlap. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you. You bet. And to all of our listeners, thank you for tuning in. Isn't it fascinating yet again? On behalf of Casey and Rob sitting next to me, thank you so much for tuning in to the Badass Counseling Show. Have a kick-ass day. The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of The Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer, Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day. Hey!